0: a patched-up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to Outcomes Rocket, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Arnab Chatterjee. He's the Senior Vice President of Product and Ecosystem at Acorn AI, a many- data solutions company. MediData is a global provider of cloud-based and analytic solutions in life sciences, and in his role, he leads the development and go-to-market of data science products within the company. In addition to his role at MediData, he also serves as teaching associate in the Department of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School and lecturer in the Department of Policy Analysis and Management at Cornell University. Prior to Medidata, Arnav was associate partner in the pharmaceutical and medical products group at McKinsey & Company, where he advised pharmaceutical and technology companies on a range of topics, including entering new markets, utilizing novel data and analytics, and digital transformation. Before his time at McKinsey, he served as director of Merck's data science and insights group where he led ventures and partnerships for Merck's Outcomes Research Group to power research and development and commercial activities. He previously served in the Obama administration as an advisor to former chief technology officers Todd Park and Brian Sivak at the U.S. Department of Healthcare and Human Services. And he also worked in the office of the secretary at HHS as a lead policy analyst on healthcare fraud and abuse initiatives around the Affordable Care Act. Just an extraordinary contributor to our healthcare space and uh, forward-thinking innovator. Really privileged to have him on the podcast today. Arnab, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Great to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about, about you, Arnab. What is it about healthcare that inspires you to stay focused in the field?
1: Sure. So I I guess if I start off on a a personal note, I I can say that medicine and and healthcare are very much embedded in my my DNA. I come from a line of physicians that spans multiple generations and and grew up with these stories of different patient encounters in different clinical settings. So everyone from my grandfather, my father, my sister, my brother-in-law are all either physicians or health services researchers or both. So you could imagine that our Thanksgiving discussions are pretty much heated, you know, conversations over the state of health policy today. You know, aside from my family, I've had the opportunity to see across the healthcare system in, in various roles over the last, I guess, 10, 12 years now, and and kind of had a had a bite in in consulting, in in pharma, in in the government space, and in, and in academia. And and I think the thing that that keeps me going is that I've been fortunate to be part of you know what I, what I call these healthcare movements, and these are kind of pivotal changes or, or sort of tectonic shifts in our healthcare system that have happened, you know, within the last decade, and and kind of. Fundamentally transformed the industry, but also kind of my, my thinking about how the healthcare system as a whole is evolving. So some of the stuff that you, you mentioned in my bio, whether it was working on the Affordable Care Act, which was such a, you know, important piece of legislation, or being part of, of some of these larger data and technology movements, even through the lens of, of the government big things that happened, you know, over the last several years. And then then more recently, you know, when I was at Merck, uh, I had a chance to better understand what's kind of commonly called now as real world data, which is everything happening outside of data and clinical trials. And could that tie into improving economics or outcomes research within that company? And I guess my most recent slate of experiences are are really pushing towards how do you, you know, kind of move the needle in, in pharma research and development and how do you better understand where data science and technology intersect with that changing space? So, kind of the, the totality of everything. If you think about how interconnected the system is, having those experiences, I think, have kind of shaped uh, you know my my thinking now and and really to where we are today. So that's what uh it's been fun, intense, and kind of an inspirational experience to date for me. And I'm excited to continue develop my learning.
0: That's fantastic, Arnab. Yeah, it's it's at your core, and uh, the experience that you've built is certainly diverse in, in its base. And, you know, from commercial markets to dealing directly with uh, pharma, and even in health policy, just fascinating work that you're doing. And, and so today, your work, uh, Acorn AI is, is really Focused around delivering actionable insights, right? And so, so talk to us a little bit about what that means and how you guys are are adding value to the healthcare ecosystem.
1: Sure. So, to provide a, a bit of background, Medidata is a, a 20-year-old electronic data capture company that really came of age during the the SaaS and, and cloud technology eras. And at that time, you know, I'd say in the 90s, when when the co-founders Tark and Glenn were were conceiving this company, they were thinking that this notion of capturing data from the clinical trial is going to be really important. And their bet was right. And, and as a platform, Metadata Now, in our 20th year, uh, captures uh, about and manages more than 50% of the world's clinical trial data that are on these digital platforms. And as a company, we, we have different products now that sit across sort of the entire spectrum of, of clinical trials and, and from data management all the way through to advanced analytics. So about a year and a half ago, metadata was acquired by uh, Dessau System, which is a Parisian-based company. It's one of the world's leading companies in, in modeling and simulation. And this kind of puts us in a, a unique position to help think about how do you build this future of, of evidence and evidence generation that really assists uh, not only the biopharma space, but also med device diagnostic companies and, and even academia as they think about what value is for drug development, how do you minimize risk and, and what does you know, outcomes actually mean. So to your point, ACORN is metadata's data science entity. And I think what makes us interesting and unique in the space is that the data that we're managing and building our products off of is actually historical clinical trial data that we are managing on behalf of our sponsors that we work with. We also have privileged uh, access and data rights to that historical data. So this is kind of the largest data set of its kind right now in the world. It's about 6.3 million patients. It's 22,000 trials worth of clinical trial data. And our vision is to take this trial data and better understand what happened so that we can improve drug development. And this can we take what's happening within a trial? and better understand how patients are actually responding to therapies or treatments in what's called the real world, what happens after a clinical trial. So that's how we think about, you know, our spot in the world and, and kind of what our focus and our vision is.
0: Well, with a data set and in uh, history, like you mentioned, I mean, 22,000 trials. I mean, how many patients did you say? 63 million patients? 6.3 million patients. Six, six, six point three. 6.3 million. Yeah. Six million patients. Um, just I mean, wow. You know, and when you think about building models, you need this richness of data. Certainly exciting to hear the play that you guys are after. After, What would you say makes what you guys do and offer unique in the market?
1: Yeah, I think that maybe I can provide a bit of context for the audience into, um, if you'll allow me to just uh, riff for a second here about how messy and, and complicated the pharma data world is. So so right now you have these kind of two main, I guess, buckets of data. And one of them is clinical trial data, which is by and large what a pharma company might use internally. It's their own, you know, trial data that they've been managing for years, or they get this information from published literature. So they have some benchmark of a published trial to get a better sense of how to design their own trial. So that's kind of one bucket. And the other bucket is what I was mentioning earlier, this this real world, which is everything outside of that clinical trial. And that could be a billing record from an insurance company, it could be a, a medical record from a doctor, or it could be even a genomic record from a DNA. And I think the, the holy grail here is to better understand how a patient did in and out of the trial. And that's how you really understand if, if the drug is safe and effective. But right now, the, the problem that we're trying to address in solve for is that these two buckets live in completely different silos, as you can imagine. And the data is really hard to connect between the trial and what happens to that patient after the trial. So to your question around what makes us different than what's available today, maybe I can present kind of like two different visions here where, you know, if, if we look at all of this historical information and we're able to capture all of the endpoints and all of the covariates that were ever measured in previous trials, and that includes something like a biomarker, it includes all the outcomes, and if they all appeared on our trial. In parallel, we can also see everything that happened operationally. So we know what's happening with a site, or we know what's happening with a, a PI, an investigator. And we have a an almost real-time view of performance, because clinical trials also have an operational component. That totality of evidence in our minds gives us a better confidence and validation in the way that Biopharma or Med Device or other companies design their trial. And if you can create a sharper benchmark, you know, whether it's around recruitment or whether it's around designing your trial more effectively, that we think is is a game changer with this data set. So that's sort of the first half of the vision. The second half is that if we have the trial data and we're able to better understand what's happening in, you know, the so-called real world, the regulatory world, like the FDA, even biopharma themselves, like, want to have a better understanding of what to make of this data and how to interpret it. So right now, you know, sort of our future state is, is to build pipes between these patients. So it could be you know, Saul, who's within a clinical trial. And if we can connect Saul's data from his trial to his billing record or to his medical record, that means we have the entire patient experience if you can do this, you're, you're really redesigning the way you think about trials and the way, you know, your medicines may or may not be effective or safe, but you're kind of trying to reprogram that entire process from start to finish.
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And the fact that these two data sets, the clinical trial data and real world data, as you're as you're calling it today. I mean, they should be integrated. And why has it not in the past, not?
1: Well, partially because clinical trials are a very focused set of, of data that's being captured. As you can as imagine, trials mm-hmm. have very specific criteria. You know, you're measuring a very specific endpoint or an outcome. And for that reason, that's how you understand whether a drug is truly safe or efficacious. So what's called a randomized controlled trial has been the gold standard for how drugs are developed for as long as people can remember. But I'd say over the last you know, decade or so, this growth of new data has really changed the way that we interpret what good looks like. And, and I think those data just exist everywhere from sensors and, and what's happening on your phone to you know, how are you kind of interacting with an insurance company. All of that is valuable medical information as well and, and adds a lot of context towards behaviors and patient perceptions and, and you know more of the different kinds of qualitative and quantitative measures of performance and health. And I think that is in a whole different bucket. So our thought is that there's coming a time now where we need to be able to see across the entirety of, of that experience to really understand if we can build a better drug.
0: Yeah. And just thinking through, it's about optimization, right? It's The clinical trial is about getting from point A to point B with a therapy in a health state. But you're talking about how do we get there more efficiently, less costly, more convenient to the patient? And so, you know, on that train of thought, how would you say... What you guys are doing is, is improving outcomes or even making business better.
1: Sure. So let me share maybe a few different examples here. And if you can remember from what I just said, like our vision is sort of broken down into two pieces. Well, the first part of the vision is around how do we repurpose and reuse our historical trial data? The second purpose is around, you know, what do we do when we can link data together? Mm-hmm. So for that first example, we, we have a product called Synthetic Control Arms. And the idea is that you can reuse or repurpose historical data that can augment or even replace a control arm of a trial. And what that does is that it reduces the need to recruit real prospective patients into the control arm. Hmm. And this is important for you know, indications or diseases where patients view the, the standard of care control therapy as not desirable And what we're saying is that that process of finding patients for that, that control arm is timely and it's consuming. So what we did recently was we used our historical trial data And we actually were able to make that as part of the actual submission for a clinical trial, meaning that the companies that we worked with didn't have to recruit certain patients um, because they were able to use historical data. So you sort of have this synthetic patient population that was used. And we did this for a disease that's that's pretty tragic. We did it for uh, phase three studies for uh, recurrent glioblastoma. And this is a a really debilitating disease for patients, and and it has a prognosis of of less than six months. Um, Many patients die during the trial. And and the other thing is that the treatments for these patients are very, very invasive. It, It typically involves injecting a therapy into the brain tumor by drilling a hole directly into the skull. So if you can imagine the value of taking historical patients who've already been part of previous trials, They look very similar to these patients by their data for this new trial that you're trying to recruit for. If you don't have to get those patients recruited into that trial, you're saving anywhere four to six months of time for this disease where many patients actually die during that trial. So, for us to get not only one, but two regulatory successes on the design of these trials using our data. And using this method is a pretty big move for the industry and something that, you know, we were fortunate that the regulatory bodies like the FDA were, were supportive of. So, so that's one example. The other one real quick is, is around work that we're doing in COVID. And this is going to the second part of our vision. This is around linking data. So we know that COVID vaccines are kind of a miracle of science because vaccines take a long time to develop. You need a lot of safety and efficacy data. And even though we have these vaccines now, COVID is still kind of just, it's just months old really it's it's something that has a hodgepodge of symptoms and severities and there's still a lot of unknown so we really, in an ideal world, would want one to three years of follow-up to really capture adequate safety and, and efficacy. And you know, our current capture of the trial data is giving us some glimpse into whether the vaccines are safe or efficacious, but it's still early days. And as I was mentioning earlier, we don't really know, you know how patients are going to do in the real world. We don't know what they look like. We don't have that, that long period of, of safety or efficacy data to understand these vaccines in, in their fullest. So what we're doing actually is uh, we're working on uh, with uh, biopharma sponsors right now, and we're actually linking data from an ongoing COVID trial for some of the biggest pharma companies out there to patients' medical records and other data. So that means that if you knew about a patient's comorbidities or their previous interactions with the healthcare system, you could better understand whether a safety event is real or not. And you're kind of prospectively designing this study to better understand like how patients are going to perform with a vaccine. So right now, you know, over over a period of time, we'll have captured a a large population of linked patients. We'll be able to stratify their outcomes and then we'll have better certainty on what's working or what's not working.
0: Well, two phenomenal applications and just fantastic and congratulations that you guys were able to do two successful submissions using you know historical data for that control arm I mean just like I was taking a little note and I wrote boom with a big exclamation mark because (laughs) it's huge (laughs) you know like I'm just like boom this is huge. yeah that's how we feel (laughs) to be able to do that is just and then the severity right and of the patient condition and the invasiveness of the approach and the, and the time saved just like uh, just phenomenal. So, so first of all, congrats on that. And I mean, huge kudos to our FDA group too, right. For actually seeing that and, and being able to say, yeah, this makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, th- thank you for that. And absolutely, like, you know, you, you have to work hand in hand with regulatory bodies to help them understand where applications like, like this synthetic population makes sense. And, and it is for these debilitating diseases. It is for the ones that have challenging recruitment timelines. So, it, you know, it's not a silver bullet for everything, but there right. are certainly areas where if you have real unmet medical need, you can apply stuff like this.
0: Wow. So cool. Very, very cool. I'm sure everybody listening to this, you're like, wow, yeah, for sure. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and a testament to what's possible, you know, and so the beginning of something great. So as you think about the challenges, holy smokes, I mean, I can't imagine the stuff that you guys have had to deal with. So talk to us about maybe one of those setbacks and, and the key learning mm-hmm. that came out of it.
1: Yeah, I might get existential for a second here and actually think about a larger issue as it relates to some of these novel techniques and ways of using data. And maybe the, the core thesis to start with here is that the drug development problem still exists and it still persists. Right? We're we're still spending more money and time to develop a drug, and the costs of these failures are increasing. So on one side you have data liquidity that's gone up and you have incredible processing capabilities that have increased over time. But we still come back to the fundamental question of like how have we moved the needle. So if you sit in my shoes or other technology companies' shoes, the, the key question comes down to how do you demonstrate value in, in data science and technology. And if you think about the the journey of AI and machine learning and, and how that's impacted drug development, I talked to a number of colleagues any given day on on what needles have been moved and how. So what your trying to do and if you're in a, a tech company's shoes is kind of explain what is the demonstrable correlation between something you do like a data science method or activity and how that meaningfully affected cost or time or, or some other tangible metric and I think you know some of the the real learnings that have come out of that have been interesting the fact is that like the biggest pharmacos out there have made really big bets on data science but there's still a really established process in drug development and there are stage gates you know that you have to hit like you mentioned uh, you got to help go from, you know, a hit to a lead, a lead to a development, development to commercialization. And what data science sometimes does is it challenges these assumptions and these hypotheses. And sometimes that flies against the face of, of really deeply rooted preconceptions that, you know, are, are held in these companies. And, you know, the real proof points and the onus is, is on a tech company to show that you have pushed the thinking, you've shortened a timeline, you've kind of altered a course or an action. And I think that, that there's still a healthy dose of skepticism in, in the big you know world of biopharma that, that data science can or cannot do those things. The second thing I'll say is like, there's a, there's a fun quote from venture pioneer Mark Andreessen, you know, who, who once famously said that software is going to eat the world. And then he re- most recently said that if software eats the world, then biology actually eats software and what that means is like biology is like incredibly complex you know we have this great opportunity in front of us to better understand what to make of all this new data coming out but there is a world now where data science has never been more important to process all this information but we also live in this highly complex world of biology and we have to operate under this garbage in garbage out mentality for how we apply data science so you know the other big learning here is that your models for doing this are only as good as what goes into it and your data has to be epidemiologically representative and clinically valid in order for it to be a true method that people can get behind. So that's just, you know, the other thing like, that's why we have a lot of faith in the data that we're using, because it's sort of the basis for all these other trials. But I think overall, you know, if you take all that into account, the stuff that's cool is that there's all these new biotechs that are starting up that are approaching drug development with a, a data first mentality and a data science first mentality. And these are companies built from the ground up with data science, where they're taking all of that biology domain expertise and they're applying it with data science expertise. And that changes their entire development pipeline. So a lot to look forward to, I think, even despite some of those setbacks I mentioned.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, you called out a, a really, really challenging point is that, you know, the onus ends up on the tech company in a, in a very uh, cynical, deeply embedded process. Nevertheless, I mean, examples like the one you just shared, I think you really, it's clear, right? I don't want to say you can't argue with it, but you know, if you save four to six months of time you know, and you're able to use historical data for a submission for that control arm, I think that there's a demonstrable correlation. <laughs> That's my perspective.
1: I think you're right. I think it's, you got to land, you got to land these whales, right? And you got to find these types of examples and those aren't easy to come by. You, you kind of go sure. through a bunch of different projects and exercises and, and, you know, proof points until you can find examples like that. So you're totally right.
0: And so what would you say you're most excited about today? Um, so I think,
1: the idea of the ability to link data. It sounds like an operational problem, and in some ways it is, but we have to remember that the, the core value about, of what it means for the patient is, is pretty phenomenal. So the data at its core, whether it's clinical trial or medical record, is the patient. And we have to remember that everything we're trying to do is to improve that patient outcome, that patient experience. So why I'm excited about some of our data science products are kind of what you mentioned. It's, it's using these synthetic patient populations, and, and they don't always have to be home-run use cases like kind of shortening a trial timeline or, or replacing a control arm entirely. There's a lot you can do that incrementally changes the way you can power a smarter trial and a more expeditious trial. And that's been a goal of the industry for a long time. If you have a few regulatory successes under your belt like we have, I think we can show that we can change those timelines. But also, can you like meaningfully alter the course of clinical development in a way where you're embedded in workflows and you're kind of changing the way that these patients are ultimately um, getting access to different and and better treatments? And I think that's kind of an important part of the future. I think the other thing is that for the patient, that if you have this longitudinal record where you can kind of document the entirety of their experience, that data feedback loop could give you the most comprehensive look into patient responsiveness to treatment. And that should come back to drug development. It should inform the smarter treatment. It should design the trial differently. So I think for, for biopharma, the the upside's massive if you get this right, which is the ability to change and enhance your trial design by finally being able to leverage some of that Non-clinical trial data. So that's kind of one or two things I'm excited about. The the other stuff is on the regulatory side. Going back to the, the FDA and others for a second, like I think this means like a pretty big advancement in in the way we think about long-term monitoring and, and safety surveillance. And this has immediate significance during COVID because if we can start to show, you know, these COVID trials which were very short in nature. The concept of linking patients together and, and understanding those longitudinal insights could change the way we think about drug safety for some time. So I'm hopeful that regulatory bodies are responsive to this new methodology and this new way of data collection. And ultimately, you know, I think it'll help us understand the context of what's unique to the trial and what's unique to the real world and how to use those data sets together. So for me, you know, if, if we're the company that's kind of positioned at the initiation of so many clinical trials, and, and we kind of manage the data for all of these trials, creating this feedback loop is is very much within
0: grasp. Love that. Yeah, it's certainly exciting. Something to look forward to. Really appreciate you sharing all the amazing work that uh, you and the team at Acorn AI are up to. Folks, it's metadata.com. Slash Acorn AI, or just go to our website outcomesrocket.health. Type in Acorn AI. You'll find the full transcript and and show notes of of our discussion with Arnab today. Arnab, why don't you leave us with a closing thought and what you believe is the best place for people to reach out to you or or learn more about what you guys have to offer?
1: Yeah, um great question. You know, as we've kind of developed and and thought about the growth of our our business and where we sit within the ecosystem of biopharma. I guess one recent observation I just had you know, for myself is, is probably just as a company is never to kind of remain static and, and constantly evolve. And what that means is really understand like, how your, your client uh, or how your patient or how your stakeholders needs are changing and evolving and get firsthand feedback and, and better understand the problems that they're trying to solve. And there's really nothing quite like adaptation as a business. And then one day hitting a stride with a problem like a synthetic control arm that, you know, you're able to solve consistently and then prove that you have differentiation. And in my, my humble opinion, you know, the, the best way to do that, I think, is to continue to understand how whatever it is that you're building kind of fits into this pre-existing world that's full of uh, people and personalities and and products and, and data and knowledge and you kind of have to show that you're able to make some of those things better or kind of enhance you know the way that that people are using existing solutions. So I'm more than happy to chat with folks. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and would be welcome the opportunity to connect and meet.
0: Outstanding, Arnob. Uh Again, folks, just go to the website outcomesrocket.health. Type in Acorn AI. You'll find all of the links, including a link to our knob's LinkedIn profile, so you could connect and uh start a conversation there if something today resonated with you. I know it definitely resonated with me. So can't thank you enough, or not for the work you and your team do and and for spending time with us here on on the outcomes rocket. Really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak with you guys. Enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.